1: Hello everybody and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Matthew Miller, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Samuel J. Levine about his new book, Was Joseph on the Spectrum, published by Urim Press in 2019. This book offers a coherent and cohesive reading of the well-known biblical story of Joseph, presenting a portrait of him as an individual on the autism spectrum. Viewed through this lens, he emerges as a more familiar and less enigmatic individual, exhibiting both strengths and weaknesses commonly associated with autism spectrum disorder. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matthew. I wonder if you, if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure.
0: Uh, I'm a law professor at Touro Law School in New York. I'm also director of the Jewish Law Institute at Touro, where the main mission of the institute is to compare and contrast areas of the Jewish legal system and the American legal system and to draw generally and broadly lessons from what I call the Jewish legal experience, toward our understanding of American law, American legal practice, American legal theory, the American legal system more broadly. Um, In addition, I have a strong interest in disability rights and inclusion and disability studies. Um, I have both personal and professional backgrounds in the areas of autism and disability rights. And it's in that light that I developed this interest in the story of Joseph through the lens of autism.
1: So more specifically, how did you come to write
0: this book? So I, like many, um, have studied, or before I studied, heard the story of Joseph, of Yosef, whether it's in the synagogue, whether it's as I was growing up and hearing the story. Um, And there are so many aspects of the story that are fascinating. I mean, this is a story that's captured the attention for millennia. As well as through contemporary cultural settings. You know, we have Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dream Code on Broadway. We have famous novels and visual arts related to Joseph. We have DreamWorks, and that's my barometer of popular culture. If you can have a DreamWorks movie, a DreamWorks animation cartoon about the story, it must have that ability to reach that popular general audience. And I think one of the things that draws us to the story is the remarkable nature of this individual, the puzzling, fascinating individual, Joseph, who at the same time is this dreamer, has these conflicts with his brothers, with his fathers, with others throughout his life, and at the same time also reaches great heights of success in a way that we might call professionally, intellectually, cognitively, he has these gifts, he has these skills. And I've studied this story both generally and very specifically through advanced studies for decades. And through my work in the areas of autism, it occurred to me that maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's an answer to understanding this otherwise puzzling personality of Joseph. Maybe what's going on is that Joseph through his actions, through his interactions with others, he resembles, and in my view, is consistent with our contemporary understandings of an individual on the autism spectrum. And that's an idea I had. It's an idea that I further explored, and as I studied both this story itself and autism in greater detail, it only reinforced my impression that this is a plausible and, as you mentioned, coherent way of reading the story.
1: I think that many of our listeners will know the story, at least in broad strokes. But just so we can have a fruitful conversation, we'd love for you to just give us the broad broad strokes picture of the narrative so that we can dig in to specific aspects. Absolutely.
0: That's a great question and, and in some ways a challenging question because we're talking about a story that actually takes up a substantial portion of the book of Reishit, the book of Genesis. Several chapters, several portions that we read in the synagogue Um, coming up in, I guess, December, um, typically around December time. And week after week, we read about this story chapter after chapter. So in a nutshell, we have Joseph the Dreamer, um, who has this dream of success, which he tells to his brothers. His brothers resent that. He's the uh, 11th of the 12 brothers. um, And they're not pleased to hear of these apparent ambitions he has um, and these thinly veiled dreams that suggests that he's going to rule over them as well as over his father so it seems so it upsets his brothers his father gives him that famous coat um however we understand that episode that gives rise to the broadway title technicolor dream code a uh, great title maybe accurate maybe not however we understand those episodes his brothers become jealous even further at one point his father who loves him sends joseph off to the brothers when they're shepherding in the fields his brothers attack him. They sell him to slavery in Egypt, where he again encounters a number of different personalities, individuals, both success on his part, and deep challenges and calamities on his part. Ultimately, he's brought to Pharaoh, who himself has these very strange dreams. Joseph, the dreamer, also is skilled in interpreting dreams. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams perfectly to a T in a way that's clear to everyone as being both accurate and, in fact, brilliant. He describes and prescribes to Pharaoh the strategy that the kingdom should have, because, as Joseph has told Pharaoh, there's going to be years of both feast and famine. And he prescribes a strategy through which Egypt will be able to survive and thrive within the famine that's essentially going to save Egypt as well as the surrounding areas. Um, At all this time, while he's in Egypt, Joseph is disguised in a sense. His true identity is hidden from many, including his brothers who end up having to visit. They're back in the land of Canaan, so they have to visit Egypt because they're experiencing that very same famine. They don't realize this is Joseph they're speaking to. Ultimately, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. This is the same Joseph from way back. And there is a strong measure of reconciliation by the end of the
1: story. That's a great summary. I think the thing we can dive off from there and and, and dig in a bit. But before we go into the actual story, I wanted to start and look at the cover page of the book, because both the image itself as well as the title, I think there's room for some discussion there. So the full title of the book is Was Yosef on the Spectrum? Understanding Joseph Through Torah, Midrash, and Classical Jewish Sources. So even the name of the character there, we actually have a difference between Yosef and Joseph. So why the difference? And are we to understand these names as describing different things? Or is it just to give people an idea that there's the the biblical name in Hebrew, Yosef, and then in English, he's referred to as Joseph?
0: That's a great question. Um, And I think it speaks to the audience for my book and the purpose of the book. And to be fair and to be clear, my basic purpose, my primary goal of the book was really to understand the story. My primary goal was, and this comes within the Jewish tradition, of reading the biblical texts very carefully, of reading through the traditional commentators from going back, you know, from Talmudic and Midrashic times, through medieval times, through contemporary times, and trying to deeply understand the story. And so using the name Yosef, the Hebrew name, and throughout the book, I likewise use the hebrew names for the characters for the individuals in the story we translate for the book um, their names as well that may be more familiar with readers who aren't quite as familiar with the hebrew name but my primary purpose is to read the story of joseph of yosef and to understand the story as a subtitle suggests through torah midrash and traditional classical jewish sources Um, and the joseph you know translating The name in the subtitle is in case readers aren't sure who is this Yosef. Oh, Joseph Yosef, and that spells out exactly who it is.
1: Were there any other titles that you considered?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I have to think back for that. Um, The main title, um, as you um, can see, I put a question mark after the title, Was Yosef on the Spectrum? Um, there was a time when I was thinking of maybe stating the title in the affirmative that Yosef was on the spectrum. But of course, we can't know. Um, and that's where I thought it was um, preferable to phrase the title as a question. And it remains, of course, in many ways for many different reasons, an open question to us. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, we can't. Uh, I would never, I should make that point. I would never diagnose anyone. I'm not a clinician. I wouldn't diagnose someone I met and spend time with. And we certainly cannot engage in retroactive diagnosis in the sense of knowing exactly whether Joseph Yosef was on the spectrum. But what I think we can do, and I think this is something that fits very well within the tradition of Jewish traditional biblical study, is to look at the story and draw lessons for contemporary times or read the story through contemporary understandings. And it seems to me that if we look at the character of Joseph, of Yosef throughout the story, Um, somewhat similar to the way we view any character in literature, whether it's in the Torah, as we go through currently the different portions, and we look at the patriarchs, we look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we see parts of their personality that we can describe. Likewise, we can look at Yosef's interactions, his experiences, his success and challenges, and we see strong consistencies with our contemporary understandings of autism. And the um, subtitle of Understanding Joseph, which is kind of bolded in the subtitle as well on the, um, on the cover of the book, and I have to really give credit to my publisher um, and the graphic designer for putting together the cover, um, Understanding Joseph on some level, as some readers have suggested to me, the book also provides a way of understanding individuals on the autism spectrum in our contemporary society.
1: Still staying on the cover before we open up and and have a look at at the inside of the book. We see a picture of Joseph and he's presenting himself before Pharaoh. And so I wanna know a dual question here. Why is this picture chosen as as the story or the picture which will represent the book and, and all the stories to some degree? And also another aspect that we find is that the character of Joseph is in color and the rest of the picture is in black and white. So why that choice as well?
0: And that's a great question as well, thank you. Um, and I had uh, a fair amount of input um, into choosing this cover. My publisher, you mentioned Urban Publications, Fima Hours, the publisher. And you said to me, do you have any ideas for the cover? Um, and we were thinking about images, we were thinking about graphics, and I went online and I looked for images of Joseph, of the biblical Joseph, that are in the public domain. And I found this uh, etching from, it goes back a couple of hundred years, just wood etching um, that's in the public domain. And the actual um, image is actually um, larger um, in scope, um, and it's all in black and white. And what I suggested was looking at Joseph and looking at Pharaoh and looking at those who surround him. And if your listeners have it in front of them, they'll get a sense of what I'm trying to describe here. Pharaoh has this look of kind of skepticism, I think it's fair to say, but also a deep interest. He's wondering, who is this person? And we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves in the story. But there's that moment, maybe the key moment in the story, where Yosef appears before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's wondering, who is this person that's been brought before me? And again, without getting too deep into the story, Pharaoh has been warned in a sense, subtly and not so subtly, that this person that's going to be brought before him, A, is brilliant in many ways, has terrific skills, has certain talents, but B, might say things in the wrong way and is different and is not someone that we're used to and might say things that are a little bit, what we would consider to be out of line, what majoritarian views might view as not the right thing to say within that setting. So he's kind of ready and he's listening very carefully he's surrounded by his advisors who are even more skeptical. They're wondering, who is this person? And then we get to Joseph himself in the drawing, in the etching. And to me, he's depicted at once as being a bit different as well, as having these great ideas, as having this energy, this enthusiasm, but also perhaps being a bit out of line in the way he's conducting or expressing himself in an unexpected way, as far as the color, that was actually my publisher the graphic artist's idea to put Joseph in color, to emphasize him, to highlight him and to perhaps reflect the colorful nature of his personality.
1: That's great. It's a beautiful image. It's very nice. It's very good to look at. So if we look, and you spoke a bit about this before, but I wanted to dig in. So if we go into the introduction, you mentioned a key distinction between diagnosis and interpretation. So your work as, as the cover, as the title suggests, is, is about understanding Joseph. So it's understanding him within the biblical framework in, in the form of interpretation. How, how exactly do you distinguish between interpretation on one hand and diagnosis on the other?
0: Well, when we talk about diagnosis um, and autism in particular is quite different from many other types of diagnosis, although autism does appear in the DSM, you know, Diagnostic Statistic Manual, um, and I placed a footnote referring to the clinical characteristics or the clinical depictions, symptoms, you might even call them, of, um, of autism. I think our contemporary understanding of autism and what we call neurodiversity, it's a term I didn't use in the book itself. It's a term that's unfamiliar, I think, to many, if not most readers and, and most of society, but the recognition that people think differently, that people have a different, as sometimes described, a different neurotype. There's something about the neurological makeup that's different. And viewing autism as more of a difference, as more of a kind of personality trait, rather than as a diagnosis per se. And that's where Joseph's characteristics really do fit many of those personality types. Um, I'd also like to emphasize... Um, there's a saying that I'm fond of, that if you've met one person on the autism spectrum, you've met one person on the autism spectrum. Um, and I, I mentioned that in passing in the introduction to the book. Every person is different. Every individual um, on the autism spectrum is different. But there are some common characteristics that we generally find among many individuals on the spectrum. And that's where Joseph, in his actions, his interactions, his social Interactions with others and his focus on certain areas of great skill, of great talents are consistent with some um, characteristics that we find among many uh, in certain areas of autism.
1: When we look at the chapters of the book, so there's 11 chapters discussing all aspects of the Joseph story, not including first introduction and the conclusion And it goes from the very beginning, from, as we discussed before, the interactions between Joseph and his brothers, all the way until the family, spoiler alert, ends up moving down to Egypt and and what happens there. And so I wonder, were there any areas, aspects, stories that you left out that you didn't feel were relevant, pertinent, didn't have enough content, or do you feel you were quite comprehensive in your treatment of Joseph and and the stories surrounding him?
0: That's a great question regarding um, the book itself and what I found remarkable in the story. As I mentioned, my initial reaction, my initial thought as to the possibility that Joseph's personality and interactions are consistent with an individual on the autism spectrum had to do with his dreams at the very start of the story. Now, he tells these dreams to his brothers, and his brothers don't want to hear it. In fact, they yell at him um, for telling telling them his dreams, and yet he goes back again and tells them his further dreams. And that's the point that's perhaps most puzzling about the entire story. How can it be that he tells them his dreams in the first place, not quite realizing they're gonna get upset, and they'll be jealous, and they'll be angry at him. And yet, when he has further dreams, he goes back again and tells them these dreams where, once again, not so subtly, He's pointing out that he has ambitions of ruling over them, of them bowing down to him, essentially. And that gave me sort of the aha moment where we have individuals on the autism spectrum, and this is not uncommon, who have a particular interest, a particular skill, and to the point of Joseph, may very well be correct in their apprehension of reality, in their ideas, in their thoughts, but sometimes communicate that reality in the wrong way. They're right about what they're saying, but they're communicating it, they're relating it in the wrong way, and they don't realize the reaction that they're prompting in others. They either don't understand the nuances or somehow are somewhat oblivious, unaware of how their conduct and the words they use And the things they say are going to affect the way others look at them. So I thought, okay, that's really interesting that this uh, initial episode seems to fit that aspect of autism. As I continued through the story, and again, as I focused on the biblical interpretations, the traditional interpretations, I was fairly amazed to find that if I look in this Midrash, or if I look in that Talmudic discussion, or if I look at the Abravanel's commentary, now in medieval times, or if I look at Rob Dessler's commentary in contemporary times, and one after another throughout the story, throughout different parts of the story, there were strong indications that Joseph's personality, conduct interactions are consistent with those of an individual on the spectrum. And it turns out that just about every piece of the short story did seem to fit somewhere. So I'm not sure I ended up leaving out any significant part of the story.
1: You just mentioned the different commentaries, the different books, Midrashim, Talmudic stories, which you used to interpret and to understand the story. Were there any specific texts or commentaries who you felt really picked up, not necessarily on the actual autism um, aspect of things, but at least um, the, who, who you felt were, 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 um, reflected your views the most, or, let, or let's say understood these neurodivergent aspects of Joseph the most in your mind?
0: Yeah, thank you. I think that you you put it very well, because of course we can't expect to find the term neurodiversity in any of these commentaries from over the thousands of years. We're not gonna find someone living in fourteenth century Spain using the term autism. But what I remarkable and what I posit is that human nature hasn't changed all that much. And that's part of the reason that we read the Torah, that's why we read great literature. We can read Shakespeare and say, well, this is a very different time and place, but We can understand human nature, Um, we can read the Greek plays, and we can read the Torah and understand, and the lessons we're supposed to draw are, how can we fit those ideas, what do we learn from those stories that are consistent with our understanding of contemporary times? And I suggest that these different commentators use their powers of observation. Some may have been doctors, but they weren't using their medical knowledge necessarily, think they were using their powers of observation, of experience, of deeply thinking about the character of Joseph, and deeply thinking about the people surrounding them. And I think they encountered individuals who very much in their view resembled uh, Joseph in terms of personality and characteristics. One example I found fascinating, this is likewise toward the very, be- actually at the very beginning of the story. Um, Joseph is described as a na'ar, the Hebrew term suggesting a lad or a young child. And the Midrash picks up on the unusual nature, the anomalous use of the word na'ar because Joseph's described as 17 years old. And even in our times, but certainly you know in biblical times, it would be odd to refer to a 17-year-old as a young child. So the Midrash suggests that Joseph engaged in conduct behaviors that seem somewhat immature, that seem somewhat childish or childlike. Um, At the same time, in the very same verse, Joseph's described as benzikunim, which is subject to a fair amount of alternative interpretations. Some suggest that the word benzikunim, the word zakain being an older individual, demonstrates or indicates that Joseph was wise beyond his years. He had the wisdom of an older person. So there are competing views here as well. If Barbara Nell poses the question, can you have it both ways? Can you say that he's a naard, he's kind of childish, and at the same time, he's benziqanim, he's wise beyond his years? And to me, the answer is yes. To me, the answer is that's exactly consistent with what we sometimes call the spiky profile. It's a term that's sometimes used. For autism also a term i don't use in the book i don't know if it's familiar to many readers but it's a term that's sometimes used to suggest to try to capture this nuance of an individual who at the same time may be intellectually advanced in certain ways may have certain cognitive abilities while at the same time their behaviors their social interactions may disclose weaknesses deficits or may appear to others as being consistent with the behaviors of a younger child.
1: We mentioned before the story about how Joseph had dreams. He shared one dream. He ended up sharing the other dream as well. And I wonder, are there any other stories or sections you felt really characterize Joseph's autistic characteristics?
0: So, you know, as I suggested, it really comes through in my view, um, throughout the book and, you know, verse after verse at various parts of the story so just to pick a couple um of examples you know fast forwarding to his time in egypt um and there's the famous encounter he, he rises to success um, you know potiphar points him over his house as it were he's uh, kind of a leader um within that what we might call employment setting and i like to draw that analogy because i think there is a strong connection between contemporary abilities in the employment setting, a certain type of skills, while at the same time having those social deficits, social um, lack of awareness of sorts. And what happens is Potiphar's wife propositions Joseph day after day. Joseph kind of gets this. He understands what she's doing and he refuses. Now I see Joseph's refusal and the dedication to the morality as he tells her, to his God, as consistent with the morality, the sense of truth, the sense of justice we also often find among individuals on the autism spectrum, but at the same time he's vulnerable. And Potiphar's wife manufactures this scenario in which they're found alone, and yet he's vulnerable and unaware of what she's doing. As the story described, he comes to work each and every day. He likes the routine again consistent with an individual on the autism spectrum he's dedicated to his work he's dedicated to his master and to his god he wants to do the right thing and she takes advantage of that vulnerability of that lack of awareness of you might even say obliviousness to some of the surroundings the social aspects of what's going on around him and you know tragically we often find I'm involved in efforts for autism employment. And we often find that's the office politics, the office setting, the unstructured, and this goes back to Joseph with his brothers as well. The unstructured, unwritten rules that are often the most challenging to individuals on the autism spectrum. And again, it's remarkable to me that we can look at this story from thousands of years ago and we see very similar scenarios playing out in contemporary times as well
1: when we go between um beginning of the book to the end of the book there's a lot that happens as we've discussed a lot of different stories a lot of different things are going on with the character and one of the things that that i notice and that one will notice with the story is that joseph doesn't just sit down in a literal or a physical sense He he's really moving he's not a static character how do you see joseph as a non-static character how does he move how does he develop as the story progresses
0: Well, I think Joseph has these ambitions, and again, to be fair, he's right. He has these skills that he's aware of, that he's confident in, that other people don't quite recognize. Now, his challenge, of course, is trying to demonstrate those abilities to other people in a way that they will understand. And what he finds is he has to navigate scenarios that are unfamiliar to him. He has to navigate these social interactions. He has to navigate the land of Egypt. He's eventually thrown in prison as we were kind of leading off the episode with Potiphar's wife. She falsely accuses him of having attacked her, of all things. He's the victim, and yet he's blamed. And here too, tragically, consistent with what we find, whether it's the schoolyard, whether it's the workplace, Um, disproportionately, individuals on the autism spectrum are found to be victimized by others and said to take the blame for what others have done to them. So Joseph winds up in prison of all things. I mean, imagine here he is trying to navigate the Egyptian prison and yet there too, he always makes the best of the situation, you might say. And there's that perseverance, that persistence Um, And not that it should be this way. It's not fair to Joseph. It's not fair to individuals on the autism spectrum or generally individuals with disabilities. But we do find an additional degree of perseverance, of persistence. And that may be what you're getting at in terms of always moving, always trying and dedicated to his ambition, to his vision, to his, I use the term stubbornness. And I try to use this term not in a negative sense, descriptively. Joseph is stubborn in his beliefs. He's stubborn enough and channels this stubbornness in a good way to resist Potiphar's wife. He uses this stubbornness to persist, to keep going and to rise to the great heights that he achieves.
1: As you're researching this book, were there anything which came out, any surprising finds? Um, you, you mentioned that the, the, this aspect of Joseph came came out throughout the story. So I guess in some ways that was a find w- w- which you came across. But any other surprising things that you came across, different sources that you hadn't thought you'd find, different ideas that, that were a bit surprising that, that you came uh, across? Yeah,
0: thank you. And here too, there are so many, so, so just to name a couple. Um, I referred to, I alluded to the reference to Joseph as a na'ar, as a young lad. And there's the famous Midrashic statement that's quoted by the famous biblical commentator Rashi, That Joseph engaged in childlike behavior. So, what were these childlike behaviors? Well, Rashi describes a couple of them. He says that Joseph kind of tended to his eyes and he kind of curled his hair. Um, And Rashi suggests, and this is based in some midrashic readings, that perhaps this was in a way to make himself look nice, to beautify himself in a sense. And that's considered to be childlike because, you know, children, it's sort of immature, childlike to. uh, care so much about one's appearance. So it's a question we might ask, you know, why is that necessarily childlike? You know, we know a lot of adults who care about their appearances as well. Maybe it's immature in some sense. So it's interesting that the Midrash itself actually adds a third behavior. It talks about Joseph being mitalev akebo, kind of kicking his heels or perhaps um, standing, raising his heels, which to me and to many I've spoken with who are familiar with autism, um, suggested the form of toe walking perhaps, which is common with for individuals on the autism spectrum. And um, it gave me this idea, and looking at the Midrash itself, certain various uh, versions of Midrash, don't mention, don't suggest that Joseph was engaging in tending to his eyes or to his hair, necessarily to beautify himself. Rather, it says... And the language that Midrash uses is kind of a self-reflexive language, gaga, which is kind of a self-enjoyment or what we call, what's commonly referred to in the context of autism as self-stimulation, self-stimulatory behaviors. And it's not uncommon for individuals on the autism spectrum to engage in sort of fidgety Again, it's the term stimming has come into play. I didn't use that term either in the book, but serve the slang for the self-stimulatory behaviors. And it struck me, maybe that's what's going on. Maybe when the Torah uses the term Nahar and the Midrash written by individuals, written by rabbin, rabbinical figures who observed individuals on the autism spectrum and it occurred to them, maybe that's what's immature or childlike or childish. And again, that's consistent with the notion that an individual on the autism sector may appear to others as engaging in sort of childlike behaviors while at the same time being that benzikin being very advanced in their cognitive or intellectual uh, abilities. Uh, Another likewise at the very beginning of the story um, we're told that Joseph kind of tells on his brothers. It's, It's not exactly clear what he's doing. Um, but he goes to his father to kind of tell on what his brothers are doing. They seem to be doing something wrong. So the question arises, well, what did they do that Joseph was telling Jacob about? So here, too, Rashi, the famous uh, biblical commentator, citing Midrashim, suggests that they were engaging in various forms of wrongdoing. They were doing, uh, violating certain laws. They were eating food they shouldn't eat, other types of actions they shouldn't be engaged in. So... This struck me as fascinating in the context of an individual on the autism spectrum because it doesn't seem like they were doing anything toward joseph himself they very likely were and it seems that they were but that's not what he's telling jacob their father he's telling jacob look what they're doing what they're doing is wrong even though it doesn't affect him and it's that sense of truth of justice of morality that we often find and we find this in the school as well the school setting where a child on the autism spectrum is sometimes sort of the uh, tattler, kind of the one who tells the teacher, oh, those kids are doing something wrong, even if it doesn't have to bother that person. Why does that worry you so much? It has nothing to do with you. Now taking it one step further, and this I found fascinating, commentators ask the further question regarding Rashi, regarding this Midrash, were his brothers really doing something so wrong? Is it fair to say, would we characterize, would we want to ascribe to to the brothers that they were actually eating food that shouldn't eat? So there's a fascinating comment by the Maharal, of, the famous Maharal of Prague in his commentary on Rashi, and he suggests, well, what they were doing was actually technically okay, but To Joseph, it was wrong because Joseph wasn't willing to entertain those sort of technical excuses. His dedication to truth and morality rendered their conduct per se incorrect, per se wrong, and therefore worthy of reporting to Jacob. And here too, individuals on the autism spectrum don't like to play games don't like to find a way around an excuse and some technical reason. And again, this is a generalization, but we often find, um, they don't want to find some sort of technical reason while what you're doing is kind of okay. This happens, unfortunately, again, in the interview process, where, as we know, and I mentioned I work in the area of employment, um, promoting employment for individuals on the autism spectrum. And when it comes to interviews, I think, I say, we know that the interview is kind of a game, that the interviewer asks a certain question, and the answer is not supposed to be completely candid. The answer is supposed to be sort of a self-serving spin on the question. And it's very common among individuals on the autism spectrum that they have a challenge when it comes to the interview. Because the interview is not made for someone who's going to be dedicated to the truth. The interview is not made for someone who wants to tell it like it is. And I think that's what's going on with Joseph and his brothers. They're doing something that they can kind of find a way to explain why it's all right. But that's not satisfactory to Joseph because of his dedication to the truth, as Marau explains. And as I see it, as consistent with the attitude of an individual on the autism spectrum.
1: So maybe this is part of the answer to the next question, but we find that the rabbis frequently refer to, to Yosef as Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph the righteous one. And so potentially his commitment to the truth could be part of that. But are there any other aspects and any other areas based on your understanding of the story that could help us understand what this term can and would mean?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the um, title Yosef HaTzadik um, grew out directly out of his experiences and his dedication to morality in the context of Potiphar's wife. You know, here he was, this uh, young man on his own propositioned by the, uh, th- th- this very powerful woman, and he resisted her advances. And I think that's traditionally where he gets the name. Ufat um, Sadik, but I, I think you're exactly right that more broadly, we do see this sense and the word Sadica obviously is likewise open to various interpretations. Um, uh, one reader suggested to me that sometimes we use the term sodic as indicating a certain innocence, a certain purity. Um, and I think that's a term, and I want to be careful here. we have to make sure not to kind of infantilize and you know individuals on the autism spectrum, are concerned about sort of infantilizing or um, really patronizing um, individuals who are autistic. But um, I think it is fair to say that there's this sort of innocent quality, this innocent nature to many individuals on the autism spectrum. And we see this as well in the commentators' discussions of Joseph as why it is that he didn't, for example, suspect his brothers Why is it that when Jacob sends him off to his brothers and they attack him, he really walks right into their trap? And likewise, in the episodes with the wife of Potiphar, he walks right into her trap as well. And the Midrashim and the commentators build on the scenario. They explain that he walks into the inner room where she is and there's no one else there that day because she's manufactured the scenario where no one else is going to be present. And yet he keeps going somehow doesn't catch on and there's that sense and and, you know the term that we're using these are imprecise but a sense of innocence of purity that i think you're exactly right are consistent with the term that we often use
1: so looking at the book as a whole how has it been received
0: uh well that's a great question i think you'd have to ask uh You know, the readers, um, I've been uh, very pleased with many of the responses I've gotten. I can speak to those. Um, uh, Most meaningful to me, um, I think, are the responses from individuals who are themselves autistic or on the autism spectrum. And by the way, we've been using the term autism spectrum or on the autism spectrum. Here, too, there's a broad range of approaches, um, a fair amount of controversy, um, and challenge to. The terminology itself, the language that we use, that cannot capture the reality that we're trying to depict. Um, But there are many individuals who prefer the term autistic. Um, Others prefer the term on the autism spectrum. Some prefer the term with autism. Some prefer the term autism spectrum disorder. Um, But to me, the most meaningful responses, reactions I've gotten are from individuals who are themselves. They identify as autistic and they tell me that they saw themselves in the portrait of Joseph. They saw the experiences, sometimes uh, painful experiences that they had. Um, I had one reader tell me that they couldn't get past the first couple of chapters because it triggered their own experiences, Um, that they encountered the bullying, the isolation, isolation, the ostracization that they faced um, among their peers. And I think when we read the story and we see the way Joseph's brothers treat them, as shocking as it is, um, we can see similarities to what goes on in the life of many autistic individuals in our times as well. Um, I've also been very pleased by the responses from family, uh, friends, grandparents in particular of individuals on the autism spectrum who because there's been such a shift in the way society has understood autism. And you know, I, I referred to the term a few moments ago and you referred to the term of neurodiversity, a term which again, I'm not sure how many of your listeners would be familiar with that term. Um, it's a term that's very um, relatively uh, new and, and, and very new in terms of a common usage. Um, and we've come quite a ways just in the past few years, in the past couple of decades, in our understanding of autism. Um, And there are many, I'm just going to use the term grandparents, but people of a certain age who are not as familiar. Um, And certainly when they saw their grandchildren growing up, had no idea of how to understand them and now are better understanding them. And as I mentioned, you know, some readers have said to me that although the book's goal is to understand Joseph, as the subtitle suggests, well, many readers have told me they've, through the book, been better to understand either themselves, their own experiences or the experiences of friends or relatives that now they can better appreciate.
1: This might be a bit of a meta question, but if you'll indulge me, the book is, is very helpful for people, for me, for other people using the book to understand people on the autism spectrum. And I've, I found that to be really the, be the case and I, I commend you on that. I'm wondering if we look at the story itself, how would the story be different if Jacob was armed with your book and armed with an understanding of Joseph as such. Pharaoh was armed with with such a book and such understanding. The brothers, etc. How could that understanding of Joseph change the story in in any way? Of course, a lot of ways to go with this. But I wonder if you can give us a little bit of a taste of what, what you think could have happened differently.
0: Thank you. And first, thank you for your kind words. Um, and yes, that's a fascinating question. Um, and, you know, implicitly in your question um, is the recognition that I hope this will help change the way people um, wasn't the primary goal of the book, but I'm certainly pleased that it has the um, function of helping people better relate and better understand individuals on the autism spectrum and, and interrelate with them differently um, in a more positive way. So let's take Jacob. Um, and you know, hindsight's 2020. 20. It's so easy for us to say, oh come on, why did you give him the coat? You know, that just made the brothers more jealous. And you know, it's it's not a new question. The Talmud itself makes that point. Right? The Talmud says, you know, Jacob made a mistake. Jacob should not have favored Joseph, because it just bred the resentment of his brothers. But I think there's something more here. I think that Jacob was working through a scenario and parenting is difficult. But this is, in some ways, a different type of parenting. This is parenting with children who are not, as we use the term, neurotypical, or at least one child who's not neurotypical, and navigating that scenario where otherwise it might be helpful to use certain techniques, but it may not work. And I think, I suggest that the reason it didn't work when Jacob first gives Joseph the code, and then... An even more puzzling episode, I think it's fair to say. I have alluded to Jacob, Joseph going off to his brothers when they're tending the sheep. Jacob sends him off. And Jacob says, oh, your brothers are out tending the sheep. Why don't you go see how they're doing and see how the sheep are doing? And looking back, it's, of course, tragic and puzzling as well. Why did Jacob send Joseph off? Didn't he realize that if he puts Joseph in this position of isolation with his brothers, unstructured time and all that, doesn't he envision the problems that are going to occur? So what was Jacob thinking, which is essentially your question. And, you know, it's interesting because at the very beginning of the story as well, another term that's used, and this is all in the opening verses of the the story, we have a lot of clues to Joseph's personality. He's referred to Rowe et Echav Batzon. He's a shepherd with his brothers, and many commentators suggest that he was the shepherd among his brothers. He was really good at shepherding. Here, too, many individuals on the autism spectrum have a certain connection, as it were, or comfort with animals. Uh, maybe the most famous autistic individual in the world, Temple Grandin. Um, you may have heard of HBO made a movie about her. I think that's a pretty good parameter of, of fame. Um, and she, um, has worked very closely in the area of animal science. She's a worldwide expert. She's actually, of all things, she's worked with the Orthodox union, um, on developing more more humane methods of ritual slaughtering because she has that sensitivity to animals. So Joseph, likewise, and again, this is another clue, perhaps another indication or consistency with individuals on the autism spectrum for Joseph so he's really good at shepherding. So that's what Jacob's trying to do. Jacob's saying, let's play to your strengths. Your brothers are out shepherding. I don't know if they're doing a good job. And he actually says to him, go see how they're doing and go see how the sheep are doing. It's a very strange phrase, shalom Hatson. You, you know, say the sheep, how are you? You're supposed to see how they're doing with the sheep. And commentators suggest that Jacob was sending Joseph to demonstrate his skill, to demonstrate how good he was and to correct them if they're doing anything wrong. This was an effort at inclusion, an effort at integration, all for the best, all well-intentioned, but best intentions sometimes do not succeed. And once again, in this case, when it comes to Jacob, it backfires. And it's easy for us to say, twenty twenty hindsight, but maybe if Jacob had that understanding of autism, maybe, or that possible way of integrating, of including. And again, we're not much better, you know, (laughs) it's easy to look back thousands of years and say, oh, if we had been there, but our society has made some strides, but we have a long ways to go and we're still making all of the same mistakes. So I certainly would not fault Jacob for this any more than I'd fault ourselves. Um, But maybe maybe with a better understanding of autism there would be this ability to include Joseph among his peers in a more effective way. Now, and I hate to contrast Pharaoh in a positive way with Jacob because Pharaoh was not well-intentioned. I had no reason to think he was. Jacob loved Joseph, was trying to help him. I don't think Pharaoh wanted to help anyone, but I think Pharaoh had a strong intuitive sense out of self-interest of individuals an intuitive sense of how to support and in his sense, how to use an individual. I think he wanted to use Joseph and he overlooked everything else. You know, I refer to the interview process and the challenges that often confront an individual on the autism spectrum in that interview process because the interviewer is looking to trip them up. The interviewer is trying to say, well, if I throw this question by them, how would they react? an unexpected question. And as we all know, if you say something wrong in the interview, that can be the end of the candidacy. Well, the exact opposite occurs when Joseph appears before Pharaoh. And that's one of the reasons I like this cover of the book. Pharaoh starts off with small talk. He says, oh, I hear you good at interpreting dreams. And there's a whole story behind that as well. The backstory to how Pharaoh, how Joseph comes to Pharaoh's attention because the butler has recommended him in a very strange way. Another interesting aspect of of the story. Pharaoh says, I hear you're good at interpreting your dreams. And Joseph actually says, no, not me. God's going to interpret your dreams for you. Now, that's not the thing you say. If you sit down in an interview and the interviewer says, oh, I hear you're really good at this job. The last thing you want to say is, nope, you're wrong. And there are nuances in the biblical text that we always have to pick up on very carefully. The text starts... And this is a very nuanced reading of the Hebrew language here, of the biblical Hebrew. The text starts by saying, by Yomer Paro. And by Yomer, often indicating kind of soft, introductory, you know, small talk. So, I hear you're good at interpreting dreams. And then it says, by Ya'an Yosef. Joseph answers him. There was nothing to answer. There was nothing to retort to. There was nothing to correct Pharaoh. And Joseph corrects Pharaoh. Of all the things, this Hebrew slave, and remember, he has just been brought out of prison where he's been imprisoned for allegedly attacking the wife of one of Pharaoh's trusted advisors. And the first thing he says to Pharaoh is, you're wrong. And Pharaoh overlooks that. And Pharaoh immediately launches into his dreams. Forget the small talk. I get it. This is not someone who I want to talk with on this kind of social level, but let's get down to business. And that's where Joseph succeeds. So of all things, because Pharaoh is acting, and I believe, is acting in his own self-interest, and because Pharaoh is the king of the Egyptian empire, we can only imagine the skills he has to have, the self-centered skills he has to have for using people in a way that further his personal goals. And I think that's why he was successful in recruiting, retaining, and supporting Joseph to his success.
1: Thank you for that. It's very insightful. If we wanted to write another book, if you wanted to write another book using a similar method and analyzing another biblical character, would there be one? Is is there someone else that you think we can analyze in similar ways or, or not really? I think Yosef Israel is the one to look at.
0: That's a great question. Thank you. And the question I often get is sort of like, who's next, right? <laughs> um, and I'm glad you asked the question because I would like to emphasize that I wasn't looking for Let's see how I can analyze a biblical character. That, that wasn't my approach. That was my intention in um, researching and writing the book. It was all about understanding the story of Yosef. And as it turned out, given my experience and to the extent that I've studied autism and continue to study and interact and speak with many, many individuals, autistic and people who work with autistic individuals in researching and writing the book, um, I felt comfortable characterizing Joseph as consistent with an individual on the autism spectrum. Um, there's no one else who's jumped out at me. Um, there are other figures throughout the Torah that I'm fascinating by, you know, um, Abraham's a fascinating figure, Isaac, fascinating, you know, Moses. Um, I don't see a direct correlation at this point. Um, and I resist kind of the superficial, connection or correlation you know i'd mentioned the dreams as to me being an an indication Um, a hint to maybe joseph having some consistent characterizations or personality traits common among individuals on the autism spectrum but i wasn't going to write a book about the dreams Um, it was only when i continued my study and found you know as i mentioned it was really one piece of the story after another one interaction one episode after another Um, where I felt more comfortable. And at some point I decided, you know, I just have to write this book because there are so many correlations and consistencies that we can at least ask that question, was Yosef on the spectrum?
1: Thank you. We're wrapping up our interview soon, but before we go, I want to know, are there any other questions, any other things that I could have, should have asked that I haven't asked yet that you'd like to elaborate upon?
0: Um, you, you've done a great job, if I may say so. I mean, you, you really have touched upon so many important, um, both the goals of the book um, and the substance of the book. Um, we, I alluded to it a couple of times, and I think it's worth mentioning the interactions that Joseph has with the butler, as I referred him, the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Opim, the butler and the baker—funny names—that um, he's imprisoned with. So what happens is when Joseph is falsely accused. And accusation in this case equals conviction. I'm a criminal law professor. They're very different in our system. But if the uh, wife of Potiphar accuses someone, that's essentially a conviction as well. So Joseph is imprisoned um, and he finds himself with the butler and the baker. And they have their own dreams. And here is Joseph. You know, I think they call him king of dreams in the uh, DreamWorks animation. So here's his opportunity to interpret their dreams. And he interprets their dreams perfectly. As far as they can tell, one of them is going to be brought back to Pharaoh. They were both formerly uh, Pharaoh's uh, advisors. One was the royal butler, one was the royal baker. um, And they've both been in prison for something they did wrong. It's not clear what they did wrong from the text of the Torah. Midrashim suggests, and I think this is significant in the context of the story of Joseph, Midrashim suggests that they both violated, in a very minor way, we would consider relatively minor, breaches of royal protocol that the uh, butler allowed uh, a fly in Pharaoh's wine and the baker um, allowed there to be some pebbles or such in the, in Pharaoh's bread. So minor crimes as it is, they're imprisoned and Joseph tells them, well, butler, you've got this dream. Guess what's going to happen? Pharaoh's going to raise up your head and you're going to be back in the royal kingdom. Well, uh, baker, well, Pharaoh's going to raise up your head off of you, and you're going to be executed. And it turns out that Joseph's right. Now, when Joseph tells these stories, A, he describes, he interprets the dreams using the same language. And putting ourselves in the place of the Baker, you can just imagine how difficult it was to hear. He had just heard, Joseph first turned to the butler and said, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and you're going to be back on the royal palace and the uh, trusted advisor again. And then he turns to the baker and says, and the baker's like, okay, what about my dream? And he says, well, in three days Pharaoh's going to lift up your head off of you. And that turn of phrase you can imagine was quite distressing for the baker, so that, that was surprising to me, um, if you read that closely. Um, and in addition, he then quickly turns to the butler and says, okay, here's the plan. You go back there, you tell him I was falsely accused, I was kidnapped from being a Hebrew, and you have him return me and break me out of, bring me out of the prison. So thinking, putting ourselves in the place of the butler, how would you react? So on the one hand, maybe there's this element of owing someone something, of gratitude for interpreting the dream in a positive way. On the other hand, I'd like to suggest that the butler sends something in the way Joseph communicates with others. Joseph says, and using that term again, the way I characterize a common characteristic of individuals on the autism spectrum, he said the right thing, but he said in the wrong way. He was correct in his interpretation of the dreams, but he communicated it in a way that was socially problematic. Now, when Pharaoh has his dreams, the butler's unsure what to do because on the one hand, he knows that Joseph is the expert in interpreting dreams. He's got this skill for this job, but I think he was a bit hesitant and remarkable that he does hesitate because you he would think he would bring Joseph to Pharaoh's attention right away. When he does ultimately recommend Joseph, he uses this unusual language. He says that when he was in prison, he was with someone and he uses that same term, na'ar, ebed, ivri. These are somewhat pejorative terms and that same term, na'ar, that we saw before. I posit, I suggest, that he's trying to send Pharaoh the message that this is someone skilled, someone who can do the job, someone who interpreted my dream brilliantly, someone who interpreted the baker's dream brilliantly, but he's also a nother. He's also someone who sometimes engages in those behaviors that are unexpected, that are unfamiliar. And if you interview him, don't blame me if he says the wrong thing. Don't blame me if he does the wrong thing. And that's exactly what plays out. And through that understanding, I think the story, again, that picture on the title has even more significance where Pharaoh is ready. Pharaoh's expecting, well, let's see how it goes. And maybe he'll say the wrong thing, but he can do the job. And one lesson that I try to reinforce when it comes to autism employment is that when it comes to the interview process, it's kind of funny in a strange way, that we do interview people and hire them based on their interviewing skills because they're not being hired to conduct an interview or to respond to an interview, unless that's a job description. They're being hired to do a particular job. So the goal should be to analyze, to assess those skills necessary for the job, not to see how good they are at interviewing. And that's what Farrow, to his credit, again, I think it's self-interested, I think it's all self-serving, but he looks for the skills of Joseph and he overlooks the faux pas. He overlooks saying the wrong things. And even though he's been so tough, and again, the context of the alleged sins, so to speak, the affront to the royal protocol on the part of the baker, you know, a some pebbles in the bread, uh, fly in the wine. you know in that context, you can imagine Pharaoh lashing out. At Joseph. And you can understand the resistance of the butler, you know, off with both your heads, he said the wrong thing to me. But of all things, Pharaoh actually does take into account that this person, this not is actually really skilled in interpreting dreams. And that's what I need. And that's why I'm going to hire this person.
1: Thank you. It's very insightful and very inspiring as well. I've taken up a lot of your time. And on the New Books Network, we have a question that we like to ask all of our interviewees. What are you working on next?
0: It's a great question. Thank you. So, um, and the answer is a lot of things. (laughs) Um, So my um, full-time position as a law professor at Toro Law School um, brings me to areas of legal scholarship primarily. Um, I've written a number of law review articles over the years. Some of the articles and relevant um, to our topic at hand um, focus on Jewish law. So I've actually published a couple of books collecting um, articles I've written over the years comparing different aspects of Jewish law and American law. Um, My other fields of scholarship in the legal area are legal ethics and criminal law, as well as uh, constitutional law. Um, I'm also thinking, I I mentioned that I have an interest in the personalities of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob um, and others, so I do have some thoughts along those lines, and perhaps um, I'll put those thoughts into writing as well.
1: Thanks a lot. I look forward to, to reading it.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. We've been talking to Samuel J. Levine, author of Was Joseph, Was Joseph on the Spectrum, published in 2019 by Urum Publications. Happy reading, my friends.